Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance podcast, hosted by Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary, and today I'm delighted to welcome one of our very first listeners, Margarita Derelanko. Welcome to the show, Margarita. Tell us about yourself and your background. Thank you, Mary. It's lovely to be here today, and I'm looking forward to contributing to this podcast and to this conversation today. I started my journey in compliance probably not as long ago as some of your guests, episode speakers, and I. but I feel that in my heart, I was always born to be in compliance. I was mm-hmm. always meant to be in compliance. So my journey to compliance was a little bit different than I think most of your guests. After receiving my master's degree, I spent a number of years working at a law firm and hello to all my non-attorneys at law firms that are in compliance. And along the way there, I discovered the world of compliance, pivoted my career aspirations. And uh, since then, I've been in uh, many leadership roles in compliance and all the learnings and all the opportunities brought me to my home now at Ivy Rehab Network, where I serve as the director of compliance, uh, for an organization that is extraordinary. It is a growing network of almost 490 outpatient physical, occupational, speech, and applied behavioral analysis clinics. And they care for adults and children in 14 states across the United States. Uh, And it's been an amazing uh, journey. And your podcast has been there for me (laughs) for Mm. the last few years and have been, whether you or not, have been my virtual mentors. And it's been, it's just been wonderful to, to have that as part of my support system. Wow. Thank you so much, Margarita. A lot of great information there and really showing that all sorts of backgrounds belong in compliance. There is no one stereotype of what a compliance officer should be or should look like. That's right. So Lisa and I have told the Great Woman in Compliance origin story from our perspective at a few events now, and we've even got a two-minute cartoon video on our landing page at Corporate Compliance Insights for anyone who wants to go and check that out. This is, however, a really unique opportunity for myself and Lisa to hear about what it, is, what it was like on the other side for our listenership when we first launched. I believe well before you and I knew each other, you saw our early advertising before we launched the podcast. I'd love to hear what you were thinking at that time when the podcast launched how it was received by you, and what do you think it has meant for women like yourself? I remember not being a big social media person at the time and looking for professional content on LinkedIn only. That really is my only place where I look for social media content. And I came across your post and it, again, felt like it was meant to be because I was not specifically looking for something, but I must have been subconsciously looking for inspiration, motivation, for a support system, even virtual. And you were posted about this idea of inspirational and empowering podcasts for great women in compliance. And I just remember counting the days until the launch because it I knew in my heart that this was going to be big and meant a lot for all of us in compliance and especially for women. And I think that you, Lisa, and the guests may not even realize the direct or 
indirect impact that your episodes may have on your listeners. I think that the smallest ideas, the smallest encouragement, the smallest just approaches that speakers talk about can really make a difference in someone's career, someone's life. I think that in our profession, sometimes we can feel a little bit lonely. And I think your speakers had talked about that. And this podcast brings all of us together, even though virtually, make you feel less lonely, make you feel like you're part of this bigger community. And I think it's a little bit unique in compliance because due to our confidential nature, what we do, we're typically the silent players in an organization and can feel a little bit lonely, but your episodes bring courage and encouragement to to the listeners. And for me personally, I have gotten to know you, Mary. I have been and have pushed myself to be on panels. I have written an article, having been inspired by an episode for Corporate Compliance Insights, have contributed towards your and Lisa's book, Sending the Elevator Back Down, and so many more things have happened, and none of this would have happened without this podcast. And I'm sure there are just countless examples of the listeners having that kind of impact on their professional and personal growth. So thank you. Thank, thanks to Lisa, and thanks to the entire compliance podcast community. That's amazing, Margarita. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think to a certain extent, you're right. We are unaware of the impact that is being fully felt. I will say that when I received a note from you very early on, it was one of the biggest signs for me that what Lisa and I was doing really did have meaning for people. You were a stranger that reached out. And at that time, that was before you'd had your first article published. There were a number of things that would follow for you that you were inspired and encouraged to do, I believe, as a result of some of our guests. And I'm really grateful to you for reaching out and letting us know because... I hope that it's like the tip of the iceberg that the fan mail that Lisa and I receive is potentially not all of the effects, that not everybody who has enjoyed the podcast or benefited in some way is necessarily telling us that, but hopefully they are out there living their best lives and (laughs) and getting something out of it. So thank you for sending the elevator back down to us to let us know that it was working and that we had purpose and that we should keep doing it. A little chapter in your story was told in our Quick Wins episode where we shared that you had been inspired by one of our episodes to write your first article. And not only was it published by Corporate Compliance Insights, but it was one of their most popular pieces that year. What are your takeaways from that experience? Sure. Yes, the this podcast did give me that push to sit down and write an article that I had conceptualized in my head for the longest time, but just didn't find the time to do it. And Sarah Haddon this episode and her voice, her passion in that episode made mm-hmm. me passionate to just go ahead and write that article that I've been cool. thinking about. And I remember whipping it up in less than an hour because I was so inspired to do that. And mm-hmm. I was just so delighted when Corporate Compliance Insights uh, agreed to publish it in 2019. My takeaways were twofold. I think number one, I love writing, especially mm-hmm. about compliance. And I don't get probably do it as much as I would want. Mm. And the two, I think you may not even realize that just putting the time to do something like that not only allows you to achieve your goals, but you can inspire someone and share your voice with someone. You need that in that moment. And I remember receiving 
comments after the publication, people thanking me for the insights, for mm -hmm. letting them think about compliance from a different perspective because mm -hmm. I wrote it from the parent angle as a mom. So I didn't realize that my little article would <laughs> impact someone like that. And it was super cool to connect with others as well. So, so that was just a unique opportunity as a result mm -hmm. of the podcast up. That's great to hear. I'm so glad that it gave you the confidence. Now you can check that off your list that you've been published. Yes. You have an article out there <laughs> and people read it. Yes. Even better. You noted that many of our previous guests have fallen into compliance. And I would say that mostly that's the case for everyone my age and older. I'm not going to state what that age is because we didn't have the choice to elect to study a compliance paper in school or have our heart set on it as a career option due to the age of the profession at the time that we were making such aspirational goals. I would like to say in many of those cases that we didn't choose compliance, but compliance chose us. And I think you feel like compliance destiny swept you up. Regardless. <laughs> called me. <laughs> you, on the other hand, did have an opportunity to actively seek out an education and compliance and pursue it as mm -hmm. a career. Tell us what that's like and the considerations that went through your mind as you were making that pretty huge decision making. Of course, I would say it's fabulous. It's wonderful to feel like this lucky person that get to to choose and got to choose your profession. And I was mm -hmm. lucky to be able to learn about compliance early enough in my career and to choose it as opposed to falling into it. I would say probably less than 10 years ago, I came across an interesting job posting and that, that was for a compliance specialist opportunity. And I was working at the law firm at the time. And it really did intrigue me just because I always enjoy and enjoyed at the time protocols and creating structures mm. and working alongside compassionate, caring people. So healthcare compliance just felt like a natural fit for me. But through the rounds of interviews and the job that I did not get, I learned that I learned that I really wanted to be in compliance, specifically mm. in healthcare compliance. So that motivated me to seek out education because that felt like the missing puzzle in the path. And I was just lucky again that, and I, I feel like I manifested that career for myself because just a few months in being a graduate certificate program for healthcare compliance and landed my first compliance opportunity just again just a few months in into the educational program and it's really amazing what you can learn and how you can kick off your career by doing these programs and mm -hmm. highly recommend those compliance certification board of accredited university programs for healthcare compliance or just for compliance like the one I attended at George Washington University it's a fabulous program because I think also there's so much competition although so many job opportunities as well but you do mm -hmm. need to stand out from the crowd and this just can be one of them super thank you uh, not only are you one of the newer generations, part of one of the newer generations in compliance, but you're also fortunate enough to possess youth youthful looks and you're very petite. And I would say I've met Margarita in person and in my youth, I was very petite and I think Margarita would still be smaller than me at my tiniest. What is your advice for someone who doesn't possess the stereotypical physical traits for a leader to overcome inherent biases and how did you manage to build your own personal brand in the virtual environment over the last two years without assumptions and biases? I have always been externally challenged by my looks and my age. 
I had people size me up and say, you are the director of compliance. So it, it was interesting. And I learned a lot through my time because like you mentioned, I do look younger than my age. I'm short and petite. I'm mm -hmm. freckled. That's not, doesn't kind of jive with the world of <laughs> compliance all the time. Although I want to think that makes me more human for mm -hmm. others in a compliance setting and yeah. working with others. So I, I don't necessarily look like a typical female leader or just a lead. So I, I would say that at times my appearance had been a barrier, but what mm -hmm. I learned, you have to choose the right home, mm -hmm. right work home for yourself where that's embraced and you have people from different backgrounds, different ages, no matter what you are or who you are, you are, you belong. And I think the second thing is just moving past your own maybe self-imposed insecurities and worrying what people will think about yourself. And, and then when you do that, I think you can achieve just so much more and, mm. and you can start doing things you've been dreaming about in your career. But also I think what have been helpful for me and maybe different for others is this virtual environment that we have been in and there are certainly cons in working remotely in compliance but for someone like myself and hopefully others that are listening you you can do really well in compliance virtually so I think about it more like the tv show the voice where mm -hmm. all you have is your voice I love to be on camera and Mary you know that and to dress up but <laughs> Say that you are off camera and you use audio only on a Zoom or Teams call. Again, all you have is your voice. Mm -hmm. So if you just focus on that and share your voice and to motivate others to think about compliance in a positive way, to share your enthusiasm about compliance, to just thought partner with someone, mm -hmm. move past the kind of the appearances or the age or what you look mm -hmm. Although now we were talking earlier and on Zoom, you can touch up your appearance and do other mm -hmm. things. Say you're just an audio. All you have is mm -hmm. the voices and you can focus on the content. You can focus on engagement. Mm -hmm. I think that has been really powerful for me because when people get to know me and get mm -hmm. to understand my approach to compliance, when they meet me, we're already past that. Mm -hmm. I've already shared my voice. We've shared our voices to, to, with each other. So it really is a powerful tool mm -hmm. you can use for, for someone like me to be able to establish yourself in a profession. I have so many things to say about what you just said. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> when you only have your voice, there are different angles in which you consider that. And one of the ways that I've used my voice. And one of the things for me living outside of my home country that is a point of differentiation is my accent. But, but aside from that, things that I consciously, well, actually I'd say unconsciously use now, but that I consciously know are things that set me aside are thinking about your verbiage. If you always use words or exclamations, oh, that's great. That's awesome. That's wonderful. That's encouraging. But think about different words that kind of make you stand out. Like, oh, that's stupendous. If you're commenting on someone's photo and you don't want it to sound like all you care about is external looks or something, but you think it's a fabulous photo, you can say, wow, that's a really striking photo mm -hmm. instead of that's mm -hmm. a great photo. So thinking about the power in your words, your yes. verbiage tells people an awful lot about you. And then I think what you've talked about being self-conscious, and I had many of the same concerns as a young investigator, five foot two, 115 pounds kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then I, at the New Zealand, I worked 
worked for the Commerce Commission, which is like the antitrust wing of the Department of Justice, but obviously for New Zealand's competition law. And I worked with a gentleman called Barry Sutton. And Barry must have been... I would say six foot two to six foot four, somewhere around Mm -hmm. that. He was like your typical alpha male in terms of how he looked. And he looked like a supervisor. Like it looked like I should have been reporting Mm -hmm. into him. Mm -hmm. And I sat next to Barry and he would listen to me on the phone a lot. And he called me the smiling assassin. And I shared with him, I was like, oh, no one's going to take me seriously. I was in my mid-20s, had all that physical stuff going on. And and he said, but you know what? Sometimes that works to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Never forgotten that because life is unfair in many ways. And sometimes <laughs> it's unfair in ways that we can use to our advantage. And being a young, tiny woman in investigations and who smiled all the time, who looked mm-hmm. unthreatening, that mm-hmm. was sometimes to my advantage. And I often also think of oftentimes our greatest strengths can also be our greatest weaknesses. And Mm -hmm. if we flip that, sometimes we can turn our perceived greatest weaknesses into a strength. I love that. I leave that with you to think on in light of Barry's advice. And nowadays, let's hope it wouldn't be weird that even though I no longer weigh 115 pounds, (laughs) a big strapping man, um, could report into me and that should be seen as normal if I have the managerial experience to warrant that. So thank you for sharing that, Margarita. Thank you. I love that. <laughs> Anything else that you want to say on that one before we move along? No, I think that just in general, understanding that if you have something genuine to share with someone and if you are passionate and genuinely passionate mm-hmm. about something, it doesn't matter how much you weigh, what you sound like. And I have a bit of an accent too. And people seem to like it too when you're in a virtual environment because it Mm -hmm. it brings some flavor in the Mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. But I think just sharing your voice to inspire others, starting the conversation from a positive perspective and, and making others think about compliance in a very positive way. And I think that's partially what my trades have been able Mm -hmm. to, to help me do that as well. Yeah, what I loved about you was that I think you were nervous, if I remember correctly, about putting yourself out there and writing an article and yeah. and so on, which is perfectly understandable. And candidly, I have a column with Corporate Compliance Insights, but I still, every time I submit something to the editor, I'm always wondering, oh, thinking Sarah might reject this and it may not be good enough and I may have to write this over again. But you didn't self-reject. That was the important thing. You didn't stop yourself from moving forward because had it not been suitable for publishing, first off, that doesn't necessarily mean that it won't get published. It means you might get feedback to to work on it. And, And then it can be ready for publication you won't know until you try. And I loved that you did that, that you moved forward and then you also got a a huge success story out of it. But as you pointed out with the job that you didn't get, sometimes Mm -hmm. when we have a perceived failure, the learning or the message we get from that is worth your whole kingdom for what it tells you that your your destiny may be, that you've made in concrete your aspirations. And that's super important. Mm -hmm. And I remember being so upset. I was devastated when I didn't get that job because I went through Mm -hmm. all the rounds of interviews Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. ultimately I just had to think about what what was missing because Mm -hmm. I knew that this is what I had to be doing. And I agree. I think some things that don't happen the way you want it to happen, 
it happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. These things happen for a reason because then you get either the motivation that you needed or you just reflect back on on what does that mean for you. And then you get even a better opportunity later on. Yeah, I can say that I too have had some very detrimental and I wouldn't go so far as to say traumatizing, (laughs) but disappointments where they really shook me to my core because Mm. I I thought I really wanted them. And Mm. I can genuinely and honestly say that every single time that I have been rejected for something good, something better has been around the corner. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that was the case for you as well, that it taught you that story. And I hope that for someone listening in today, it's just what you need in the face Mm -hmm. of being let down um, Mm -hmm. by something that you've been striving for recently. Margarita, my final question for you. We heard a little bit from Mia Rainey about the Home Depot's Compliance Summit, and I know that you were instrumental in orchestrating the Compliance Symposium for WAD Capital Partners and its portfolio companies. What were some of the considerations that you kept in mind to make the event a success, and what did you focus on? I'm extremely grateful to Melanie Sparnholtz at One Capital Partners and her team for including me on the planning committee for their annual compliance event now for the second year. And by no means is my involvement instrumental, but I think what I bring to the table is thinking what will be rich and unique for in terms of content for our portfolio companies and bringing that angle because we have this unique opportunity with this event to bring heavy hitters and compliance under one roof and we when we kick off the planning with what capital partners and the team we try to think big and dream big and and last year we had such an amazing panel and you Mary were there and it was finally our first time for the first time to meet in person after many mm-hmm. years of talking virtually and it and you did a fabulous job by the oh, way thank you. Uh, it was awesome and there were so many others in that event and i think that's the best part about just being genuinely involved in that and connecting with intelligent people to plan mm-hmm. the event and also to connect with the speakers and bring together this fabulous event for, mm-hmm. for our teammates in compliance that really mm-hmm. crave this kind of information. And then this year, I'll be able to contribute as a speaker for the first time. So I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. that. But yeah, it's wonderful just to be at the table and mm-hmm. support any way I can. That's wonderful. And I would suggest that you absolutely were instrumental being on the planning committee. As someone who was invited to speak, the vast majority of my communications were with you and getting ready for that. So do take your place at the table. Do take (laughs) your accolades and have your effort acknowledged because it is important as women to stand there and receive the glory and it truly is well deserved it I know from being friends with Barbara Beeler who was previously the director of programming at compliance week that putting together an event is no small feat it's also incredibly expensive and people have budgets and so Mm -hmm. to work within the parameters with which you've been given it takes a, a lot of strategy a lot of planning a lot of thought a lot of time and even just the logistical back and forth 
with people like me asking annoying questions like what hotel is it at because I'm going to need to add my loyalty point number. <laughs> pleasure. And Melanie and her team, they do a fabulous job with all the logistics and we do have amazing sponsors. Mm. So that's part that's of that helpful. as well, just having the sponsorship there and, and being able to pull something like that off. That's very cool. And so for anyone who listening who's oh, we're struggling a little bit with budget right now, we're looking at an economic recession, thinking about whether you might have some law firms in the area who might be interested in sponsoring your event. Oftentimes law firms will have standard decks of materials ready on topics like anti-corruption when they practice in this area and they're happy to present on those topics for free because it's a business development opportunity and exposure for them to get that out there. I think that it's all just on you and your department via an opportunity for sponsorship or even just to partner with maybe another compliance department or so on. You're thinking big. Yeah, there's no boundaries to what we can do. Thank you for that, Margarita. Great idea to mention the sponsorship to help keep some of the expenses down and involve other subject matter experts. There were some great subject matter experts Mm -hmm. that you had on board from third-party service providers in the field. So that added to the richness of the agenda, but also there was incentive for them to pitch in and help Mm -hmm. out as well. Yes, it's it's mutually beneficial. (laughs) It is, it is. Excellent, excellent. And as long as you're all agreed on the anti-bribery and corruption expectations (laughs) out of that, and we've got controls in place for that. You have a a room full of compliance folks. Specialists, exactly. (laughs) are being followed. (laughs) And resources are at hand for advice and support. (laughs) Excellent. Margarita, thank you so much for sharing your valued perspective with us. I am so grateful to you for letting us know about the impact on the podcast. You were a very early sign that we should Mm -hmm. keep producing our episodes. And in return, perhaps you won't know this, but when we get such letters, it is a great deal of support for Lisa and myself. And I think sometimes people forget that just because we're the ones standing on our own platform, I repeat, it's our own platform that we've made and we feel really pleased when we know that we're doing a good job and helping people to achieve their goals and figure out challenging things in compliance or their lives that have put them at a crossroads. So thank Mm -hmm. you for being one of those people that was my tip of the iceberg. If you are somewhere at the bottom of the iceberg and you find yourself near the wreckage of the Titanic and you would love to share your story with us and the podcast, Lisa and I would love to hear from you. And Lisa and I thank you so much all for joining us for this episode with Margarita. She is an up-and-comer and I know that we'll be seeing a lot more of her in the future of compliance. Take good care, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.